0: When you were growing up, did you ever hear the saying, or maybe you've used the saying, do what I say, not what I do? Uh, Based on the chuckles, that's a resounding yes. I'm sure many of us have. Uh, I think I might have even used that. Uh, Let me rephrase that. I know I've used that before with my kids. Unfortunately, if you really look at this, what you're saying, it's not very helpful to living an honorable life. A couple of years ago, I was introduced to a book from a, from an elder from my previous church. This book was called and is called, I should say, growing or excuse me, raising a modern day knight. It was a resource put out by Focus on the Family. And if you're a father of of boys, of young boys, get this book. It's a book on raising godly young men, raising boys to become godly men. Now, normally, I am not a fast reader, and and if you went into my office and you looked at my library, you would go, wow, that's not a lot of books. It's not. It's because I'm not a fast reader. I, I didn't grow up reading lots of books. I grew up playing lots of sports and video games and being outside and doing things like that. I also had vision things that uh, made reading difficult for me growing up, and so I just never really got into reading very much. Now, I enjoy reading now as as an adult, but when I was younger, it was very difficult for me. So I'm not a very fast reader. I get distracted easily, and I lose interest. This book, however touched my soul, and I couldn't put it down. I could not put this book down. See, as fathers, we have the responsibility to train and raise our young boys to be godly men, something our culture desperately needs right now. This book, just to give you an idea, not to go in all detail, this, this book really takes this approach of knighthood and, a, and a, translates it into fatherhood. And what we do with our boys. See, as, as a young knight, you would start as a page, right? That would be like the first level of, of knighthood, you know? And, and you would work your way up and progress. And each time you would make the next station, there would be a celebration, right? And you get to the next station, there'd be a celebration until you become a knight. And so it takes this milestone approach to fathering with our young boys, right? Right? It uh, it celebrates certain milestone markers in a y- young man's life. It's an opportunity. I did this. I did this with our oldest, Jacob, a few years back, and uh, I took him on a on a father son retreat, and we took laser guns, and and uh, you know we we had a really good good time as father and son. But leading up to that. I asked men that knew him, that had relationship with him, uh, grandfathers, Sunday school teachers, elders in my church, p- other pastors in our church, to handwrite a copy, or excuse me, handwrite a letter specifically to my son explaining what it meant to be a godly man and what they've learned along the way. A very personal letter. And then I, I collected all those, put them in a, in a sheet protector and put it in a binder and part of the process is, is creating this coat of arms, right, the, this uh, family crest, if you will. And I love medieval fantasy, so I was like, i was geeking out over making this family crest thing, right? Um, and so I, I, I dove into making this family crest, and each color was significant to a specific thing, like purple means royal, right? Uh, And so there's different colors mean things, different symbols mean things. And and so I created this family crest. Um, Didn't have one previously, just surrendered to the Lord and and created one. And I put that in the front slip cover of a three ring binder. And I put all those letters from grandparents, uncles, Sunday school teachers that wrote personal letters to my son. And I put them in this binder. And we went away for a weekend. And this particular celebration was coming into being a man. What did that mean? What were the responsibilities? What does it mean to come into manhood as a godly young man? What are those expectations? And how are they different from the world's expectation? And we talked about a lot of different things. And I presented him this, this binder. As I was researching about Family Crest, it became very evident how important this was not only for me to teach my son, and now sons, but for me to be an example to my sons. Because if I tell my sons to do what I say and not what I do, I have abandoned my responsibility in training them. When my actions consistently do not line up with what I'm saying, they will eventually learn that my word is meaningless. So as men, we must understand that actions speak louder than words. Not only as men, but followers of Christ, our actions speak louder than words. This morning, we're going to continue our study in 1 Peter chapter 2 encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the chairs. If there's not a Bible close by, you feel free to use your phone, your Bible app on your phone. Or in the bulletin on the bottom left corner, I believe there is the scripture in the ESV as well. We're just going to be reading two verses this morning, 11 and 12. And today's message I've entitled, Called to Honorable Conduct. So would you pray with me as we get started with the, word, with the Lord's word open before us this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. Lord, we just ask that you would speak. Lord, the distractions of the morning, the, the chaos of, of getting the kids together, the chaos of, of traveling. Lord, can be a distraction, and and even up to this point, we could still be dealing with some of those emotions and and distractions, Lord. We want to come and just sit at your feet, Lord Jesus. I, I I think of Mary and Martha, where Mary is just sitting at your feet, and Martha's in the kitchen going, Lord, tell Mary to come help me, and he says, Mary's chosen the better portion. Lord, help us to be in your presence this morning with your word open, Would you do what only you can do, Jesus, and would you penetrate into the heart and transform us from the inside out? Lord, would you help train us and teach us through your word how to live this life you've called us to live? It's in Jesus' name we pray. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, I'll be reading out of the ESV version. Starting in verse 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter starts out this, the, this section here, and, and most commentators would say that it's in this, this part of his letter where a shift takes place, where he starts changing his approach. And he begins this section with this word, Beloved. Right, that for, in verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners in exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. This word beloved is the, the Greek word agape, right? It's, it's that, that root form. Now, the actual word is agap, agapetos, which is the verb form of that. But it, remember, we, we learned that agape is a sacrificial, it's a choosing love right? It's not just friendship. It's, it's not brotherly love. It, it's, it's I'm willing to die for you kind of love. I'm willing to take your place kind of love. It's, it's choice. And so when Peter says beloved, and he's using the agape root word, he's basically saying those whom I've chosen to love sacrificially, those whom I cherish, who I would do anything for, that's the language that he's using here. He says, beloved, I urge you, as sojourners in exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. This is a very intimate address from Peter to people that he might not have ever met before, right? But he calls them beloved. He has a heart for people that he's never even met. Any two other words stand out in this, this section here? Sojourners in exiles, and it's kind of one of those things, well, aren't those the same thing? Aren't sojourners and exiles the same thing? Why does he say it twice, just using two different words? So whenever I see something like that in scripture, I go, why did he just repeat himself? There must be something there. Sojourners would be aliens, foreigners, or strangers, those who are passing through. Versus exiles are those who are aliens, but they're now residing in a foreign country right? Those who are living in this foreign place. They're not just passing through. They're not sojourning. They've made residence, right? And we remember that in First Peter, Peter is specifically writing this letter to exiles who are living in modern-day Turkey, avoiding persecution. Persecution is coming. Nero is ramping up his hate and, and, and threatening the lives of believers, and so, to them, they were literal sojourners and exiles. We already explained that even though the letter was written to a very specific group of people, it's written for us as well. And that as believers in Christ, we are sojourners and exiles in this world because we have a heavenly home that Christ is preparing for us. Right? We know This is not our home. And so Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, those who don't belong, those who are passing through, those who are living in a foreign place, abstain from the passions of the flesh. The reality is that sojourners and exiles are both exhorted to abstain from the passions of the flesh. This word abstain uh, is not a word that we use, or it's not a word that I really use that often in language anymore, but it, it has this idea of keeping away from, to hold back or be distant from, right? to distance ourselves from. The flesh in scripture talks about our unregenerated self, the carnal part of ourself. The the portion of us that was inherited in creation. And so when Peter says, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh, he's saying stay away from those old ways. Those old, unregenerate thoughts. the, The lusts and desires, the eagerness for that old lifestyle. Keep away from that. Hold back. Be distant from that. Now, Peter doesn't really describe what these, quote-unquote, passions of the flesh are. And, and, and if we were to just breeze right on through, you know, those who are listening in online or, or here visiting for the first time or don't really use this language might go, what in the world is he talking about? Because Peter doesn't really define what the flesh is here. It's an it's a understanding that those who were reading it would know what he's talking about. As believers, even, we can read the flesh and go, yeah, I know what he's talking about. I'm just going to keep moving forward because that's an uncomfortable topic. But what if we don't? What if we don't understand what Peter's talking about here? What if we don't understand what these fleshly passions are? The reality is that we have a generation that is, that is growing up, that is being told that they can do whatever they feel is true. They can live a lifestyle that whatever they feel is right. If you told a young person today that they can't conduct themselves the way that culture is telling them that they can, they'd look at you cross-eyed. They'd say, I'm out of here. You better be able to explain what these passions of the flesh are and what they are not if you're going to address a young person today. Because not everything we experience or feel is wrong. God created us with emotions out of his own image to have experiences and have emotions. It's a blessing to have those things. So not everything we feel and experience is wrong. So we have to understand what Peter means when he says these passions of the flesh. There might be, like I said, there might be somebody hearing this for the first time and have no clue what Peter's talking about. The good news is that God has given us other places in scripture that identify and define what these passions of the flesh are. So I'm going to have you put your finger or put a bookmark in 1 Peter here, and I'm going to have you turn backwards a couple books to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. And we have a different author speaking right now, still, still divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, but this is Paul writing in Galatians Starting in uh, chapter 5, verse 19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. And he lists them out, and there's quite a list here. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger... Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now before we move further, let's, let's be very clear what Paul is saying here at the very end. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Please hear me. Paul is not saying that those who have ever done these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The language in the original context would be understood that those who make a practice of doing, meaning that this is their way of life, that they're unrepentant, that this is just who they are and they're living this way. That's what Paul is saying, those who do such things. It's not the same thing as someone who is living their life for Christ, committing the sin of these and repenting of that sin. There's a difference. It's a lifestyle. That's the understanding of the original language is Paul is saying those who do such things would be those who make a practice of doing these things. Those who live their life this way would not. That's good news. (laughs) That's good news because there's there's a long list of passions of the flesh, right? There's a long list of, of things that some of us have probably experienced or done before. And if the word was saying that if you've done any of these ever, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, then where is the hope that the gospel brings? So we have to understand what Paul is actually saying here. Now, we're not going to go over all of these, these works of the flesh. We could be here all day. And quite frankly, some of them are, are pretty straightforward, if we were but there were three that really stood out to me in my study that I felt were relevant to the world that we live in today that I think we really need to address. The first one is the very first one that Paul lists, sexual immorality. I found it interesting that the Greek root word for this that we translate sexual immorality is the Greek word pornia. I'll let you fill in the rest. The reality is, is what Paul is talking about here is basically in a condensed, easy to carry with you definition, sexual immorality would cover any sexual act committing, that one commits outside of God's plan between a husband and a wife. Anything outside of that would fall under This definition. Anything. The second word, idolatry, is defined as serving and or worshiping an image or anything other than God himself. I think sometimes in the church we lose sight of what idolatry is and isn't. Even in the church, we could succumb ourselves to idolatry. And I might step on some toes with this right now, <laughs> especially on the day that we're looking forward to. One of those things that we can, idol- that can make an idol in our life is the cross itself, the image of the cross. When we worship the cross versus the one who died on the cross. We've made an idol out of the cross. The cross is not to be worshipped. The cross is not to be idolized. It was a humiliating way to die. It represents a horrific death and sacrifice of the one we ought to worship, Jesus, but the cross itself must not be worshipped. We have to be careful not to let it become something we're we're always going to. We're told to go to Jesus, not the cross. So even as believers, we have to be careful who and what we're serving and worshiping. If it's anyone other than God, we need to repent of that. The third one, the third work of the flesh that's evident, that stood out, that I that I felt like the Lord was drawing me to talk about is this drunkenness. The Greek word here would not specifically talk about alcohol. The definition is intoxication. Intoxication. So this could speak to Drugs, this could speak to alcohol. this could speak to anything that we would ingest into our body that would allow us to lose control of ourselves, an intoxication. And so even though we translate this word as drunkenness in English, it goes beyond alcohol. It goes beyond losing ourselves to, to drinking alcohol. It's any foreign substance that we would lose control with. Alcohol, drugs, both legal and illegal, by the way. One of the biggest drug epidemics right now is opioids, which are prescribed medicines, that we can become intoxicated with. And so Paul gives us this list he, he, that is really long Jealousy, fits of anger, dissensions. And he says, these are evident. These works of the flesh are evident. And he ends this list with things like these, which leaves us to imagination, right? In the past, things like these have also included music in the church. Things like these have become extra-biblical things, But I think if we really looked at this list, we would see how these specific works of the flesh are things that would draw us away from God, not to him. Put your finger here and flip back to 1 Peter. So Peter says to abstain from these passions of the flesh. Now we have a better understanding of what Peter's talking about. He says, abstain, keep away from, uh, stay apart from, be distant from, right? But why? Why are we to keep away from these things? He says, they wage war against your soul. Remember that the soul is that God-breathed, divine, that uh, portion of our, our, our being that never dies, It's the eternal part of each one of you and me, right? It's the very component, by the way, that is being fought over between Satan and God himself. And so when Peter says to stay away from these passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, we're talking about serious business here. We're not talking about an argument or a disagreement the passions of the flesh wage war against our souls. That, that war word means to serve as a soldier, fight in a war, or to wage war. Ask the Ukrainians right now what war feels like. Watch the news. What does it look like? Can you, can you put yourself in their shoes? The passions of the flesh wage war against our souls. That's why Peter exhorts us to abstain from them. In other words, to not put yourself in harm's way. Get out of the line of sight. Hunker down. You might ask yourself, well, how am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to keep away from the very nature that God, that, that I came into this world with, these feelings that I have that are so strong and that, I, that I'm being told are right how do I stay away from that when it's, it feels like it's the very thing within me that, that is, is right? Flip back to Galatians 5. God in his omniscience knows the struggle. He knows how strong the flesh is. And the draw. And so in verses 16 and 17, it says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let me repeat that. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It doesn't say that you might be victorious. It says that you will not. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not Gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. We have the answer. The Holy Spirit, if we surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit day by day, moment by moment, when those feelings come up, when we, when we learn how to yield those passions to the Holy Spirit, we cannot and will not fulfill the desires of the flesh because we're no longer in control. So we can't. The problem is, I think, that in our culture, even in the church, we have not taught people how to surrender to the Holy Spirit on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis. Because we've left discipleship behind. And we've said, just say yes to Jesus. You'll figure it out later. My friends, discipleship is is crucial. It's the one thing that Christ called us to. Second thing, love God and love others. And go make disciples of all nations. Discipleship is not just getting someone to say yes to Jesus. It, it, It includes that. But it's a teaching, it's an ongoing, hey, come with me, let me teach you these things. If we want to get back to being the bride of Christ, the church of Christ, we must start fulfilling the great command and the great commission, all of it. Not just us here in in the Alliance Church, but as God's church. We have to stop focusing so much on data dump, on on information overload, and start teaching people how to walk by the Spirit if we're going to see change. Back to 1 Peter. Verse 12, Peter says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. What is a Gentile? If you've never heard this phrase before, a Gentile in that time specifically was anyone that was not Jewish. Okay? Anyone that was not Jewish would be a Gentile, be considered a Gentile. A modern understanding of that today would be that a Gentile is a race, a people, a nation that does not follow Christ. In other words... Non-believers. Could be your neighbor. Could be the mother or father you run into in the grocery store. Could be a coworker. A gentile is simply someone who does not follow Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Peter says, to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Isn't it interesting how conduct keeps rearing its ugly head throughout First Peter? Right, I say ugly because none of us really like to hear this word. <laughs> we, we, we don't really like to change our behavior. And we're not advocating for behavior modification, by the way, because we saw in Galatians that if we walk by the Spirit, our behavior will just change because we're no longer in control. But that word conduct is how we live, our behavior, our way of life. And Peter says, keep your way of life among those who don't know Jesus, or are against Jesus for that matter. Keep your way of life among them honorable. Let me give you a definition of this word, because when I read this, I probably broke down. The very first word that is used in the definition is beautiful. Honorable means beautiful. Beautiful as an outward sign of an inward good. Peter says to keep your way of life among those who don't believe beautiful. I don't know about you, but I can't do that. I'm messy. I don't even like looking in the mirror some days, especially when you know the hair's going like this and you know I look like I just, you know, look like a rooster in the morning. I don't have it as bad as Julian, but some days it looks like you know, he's got a faux hawk going on. That was natural. But we're to keep our way of life, even among those who would not proclaim Jesus beautiful, as an outward sign of something that's changed inwardly. It's not honorable because we're trying harder. It's honorable because Christ lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit and is changing who we are if we let him. This is what it means to walk by the Spirit. As we learn to surrender and, and give our control to him, he starts doing things we can't explain, which allows us then to interact in a beautiful way towards those who don't know Jesus, no matter what attack they claim, no matter what comes your way. Peter continues, he says, Keep your way of life among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The reality is we, we... The world will speak against Jesus. The world does speak against Jesus. And not only that, the world speaks against those who claim his name. You and I. Believers, if you've never heard this before, you will experience slander and hateful words in the name of Christ. Just because of your faith. Because the world is against Jesus. There's an enemy against Jesus. And Peter's basically saying that knowing that this is true, that, that the world is against you because they are against Jesus, how we respond matters. Responding honorably in our actions is how we win a non-believer to Christ. Not telling them the gospel over and over and over again. Not telling them that they should just because it's in the scriptures. They don't care what's in the scriptures. Not yet. But when they see your example in the face of the evil, there's something beautiful to that. How we respond to the world and our conduct matters. The unfortunate reality, church, is that too often Christians are known for what we are against versus who we are for. And we wonder why it's so difficult for the gospel to go out. We're too known for what we're against versus who we're for. Peter basically says in these two verses no matter what comes, in life, no matter what difficulties, what persecution, what words, what evil comes your way, let your conduct, your way of living speak louder than your words. So that some may come to know God and praise His name. Would you pray with me as we close and move to a closing song? Heavenly Father, Lord, we recognize Lord, we confess that as the church, Lord, there are so many areas where we have gotten it wrong. Lord, we we thank you for your graciousness and your mercy towards us. Lord, we also know that this is your church, not Not our church, not not my church. It's your church, Lord, and you are the one building your church. Lord, by your spirit, would you teach each one of us, would you guide each one of us, Lord, to be surrendered so that when the world sees us, they see you. They see this beautiful, honorable response. Lord, move us away from move us away from the idea of doing what we say, not what we do, and moving towards, let me show you, letting our conduct speak for itself. Lord, I'm reminded that your very words said, They will know you by your love. Lord, I admit that there are times where loving the world is difficult, especially when I feel attacked personally, Lord. Help us to deflect those those thoughts of it being personal to understanding that they're not attacking us, but you. And show us, Lord, how to conduct ourselves in an honorable way so that you would receive glory when they would respond in kind. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. (coughs) Amen.